we have been in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Beatitudes for quite a while now, um, and we're working our way, and we're in, we're in verse 8 right now, and I just wanted to real quickly again talk about the context of what's going on here. So before the New Testament, before even Jesus is on the scene, there's this, there's this overwhelming hopelessness among the people. See, because when Moses came, he sets out the Ten Commandments, and, and for years and years and years and years, the, the people and the religious leaders, out of fear of messing up those Ten Commandments, have added more and more and more laws along the way. So much so that, that it's almost, it was impossible for any one person to keep any of those laws. And in fact, they would fear, and they would struggle, and they'd strife, and, and I think at times when we see the questions of people in the Gospels where they come to Jesus saying, like, well, what's, what's the most important one? Like, there's this, there's this sense of people going, if I could just maybe keep one of these, maybe that would be enough. Maybe, maybe that would be enough. And, and they would, they would, they, they, all these people would have the Psalms, and they would hear David talking about this, this joy and this peace and the hope in, in, in God, and, and their hearts would desire to see and know God, but they would continually fall short to all of the 600 and some laws and commands. In fact, these commandments became, these extra laws became so prevalent, so important that they became more important than the actual scriptural Ten Commandments. And so there, were, there was this, this argument and this feistness where the religious leaders were continuing to uphold these ridiculously law, ridiculous laws, saying, you uphold these things, then you'll see God. Then you'll know God. If you can just do enough stuff, then maybe you'll be in a spot where you can be right before God. And it was exhausting. It was exhausting. In fact, I'd be willing to bet on a day like today, some of you right now are trying to figure out how you can just do enough for God. And you're exhausted. Some of you, you're like, man, I, like, if we were to ask any one person in this world whether they believe in God or not, seeing God is something that all of us desire. We all desire to know and to see the God that created us so much so that you see all these other religions coming up and they make false gods and physical gods that they can worship because there's this desire in each of us to know and to see God. And so we, we, we fight for this and we fight for this. And this is the context. These people are, are wrestling with, okay, what, what do I have to do to see God? How do, I, how do I be good enough where God will, will, will let me be a part of him? And these Beatitudes, although they've been incredibly pragmatic, and like I said, Jesus is, is always over and again through this entire Sermon on the Mount is going to tell us some very practical things that we can do or not do, but all of them start with the heart, and we get that context today. See, Jesus has been saying that it doesn't matter what you do, if your heart isn't in the right spot, then it's a lost cause. And so the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, we've been, we've been ripping through them, and it's, it's Jesus seeing the crowds, went up on the mountains, and he sat down. And when his disciples um, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them. He opened his mouth saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are, who, who are mourning for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And today it's blessed are those, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Jesus s just slaps a massive statement in the middle of the Beatitudes. It almost feels like it's a little out of place because this is the context of really all of the first five fall into this and the rest come out of this as well. You see the last two fall right out of what a pure heart. And he's, he drops this massive statement. This is probably one of the biggest things that Jesus says in all of his, his time on earth. One of the biggest things, because right here he's saying, if you are pure in heart, you shall see God. 
And this was what everyone's heart then, and I would, I would argue, I would contend with you that every one of our hearts are desiring today to see God. Tucked away in the middle. It's a central truth for all the previous Beatitudes, and from there, the rest of them fall. See, from the heart are all the issues of life. In fact, 1 Samuel 16, 7, Jesse's, um, Samuel's supposed to set up the king, and so he brings Jesse, who has all these sons, and Samuel starts looking at these sons as, oh, wow, look at how strong they are. Look at their stature. Look at their prominence. Look at how many times they go to church. Look at how much money they give in offering. Look at how awesome they are always. And he keeps looking at all these external things. And, and, and God talking to Samuel says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. Doesn't matter how good he looks. Doesn't matter what he's done. I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. See, God is so concerned about our heart. So concerned about our heart that so much so that he, he's not saying in a place that like, okay, it doesn't matter what you do. But what he's saying is that everything you do apart from the heart is useless if the heart is not in the right spot. In fact, I have two glasses of water up here. One is, is pure, filtered, awesome drinking water, and the other one I've slipped um, some Iocane powder. It's tasteless, odorless, and um, nearly dissolves in everything. No, I'm just kidding. That's a Princess Bride quote. Sorry. Um, this one actually is, is, is got water in it, or one of these have water in it from the toilet bowl that I just kind of pulled out of it. I'm sure if you get close enough, you might see particles flying in it. But, but either way, I, I mean, it's a kid's school. I'm not, well, never mind. It doesn't matter. Um, so either way, they both look the same. And in fact, if I had just said, if you were over at my house, you said, can I have a glass of water? And I just handed you one of these glasses of water. You would hopefully not think that I would put toilet water in front of you. Right? You drink it. You, because it, it, from the outside, everything looks right. Everything seems to fit. The glasses are the same. The water looks the same. It, I would, you know, why not drink it? I bet if I said $5, some of you broke college students would be like, I'm in. Whatever. Who cares? All right? <laughs> but the point is, is one of them is not pure. But the other is but they look the same. And see, here's the problem with you and I, is we can look the part really, really well, but be a mess inside. We can pretend, we can do all the right things, we can give money, we can say the right Jesus words, listen to the right music, put on a front so when someone asks, oh yeah, I'm doing great, everything's awesome, when inside we're dying, we're, we're messed up, we're dark, we're pretending. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, look, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Not how awesome you can clean. Like, I lysoled the outside of this cup, so I, may, I, may, I think you could lick it, but I don't know what happened. But not how clean or what efforts you put to the outside, but let's look, let's look at the inside. And Jesus plants us right in the middle of the Beatitudes after just telling us a bunch of other things of, of how we fail. And so this got me... <laughs> really wrestling with what is he talking about. So let's just real quickly, let's define some of these terms and then we'll move forward. First thing he says is pure. Um, this describes a heart which is pure in motive. And it actually, it exhibits this idea of single-mindedness. So pure means one purpose, undivided, single-mindedness, a focus, not a double-minded thing. In fact, pure, this word would have been used for, for animals, um, animals that would be considered clean. Um, it would have been used for metals. Metals that they would refine until they could get rid of all of the extremities, all the unpure or un, un, the things that did not belong there. So it's like all we have is gold or all we have is silver. Everything else is out. It is pure, meaning there's nothing else in it. It is 
one mind, one thing, one direction. That's the word pure here. This is this idea of the single-mindedness, this devotion to one thing. And the context Jesus is using, he's using it spiritually here. So he's saying a single-mindedness spiritually to God, meaning my focus is on God and God alone, pure. He's saying, you could almost reword this beatitude as I desire a heart that is unmixed in its devotion and motivation. I mean, I desire a heart that's going to seek me first. I'm not going to seek the relationship that you want, the money you want, the house you want. All those things are fine, but me first, undivided, unmixed. You're focusing on me and how do I fit in every other context. Unmixed, pure. Pure is to be free from a mixture of what is false and conveys the identity, idea of genuine, blameless, or innocent. Free from corrupt desire or wrongdoings. Define the, sec- the second word I want to define is heart here. Heart is used figuratively most often in the scripture as the center of who we are. Heart is not just our emotions. A lot of times our heart is like, oh, I love you with all my heart. And we just kind of mean it emotionally and we try and get butterflies to make us all feel good. But, but heart really is in context here is the center of who we are. It is our personality. It is all that I am. It is Bren's heart. That is the center of what I am and who I am and how I work and how I look. That's the word heart here. It's the center. It's the inner person. It's the master control center of a human life. See, the heart is what you are in the secrecy of your thoughts and feelings when nobody knows but God. And what you are at the invisible root matters as much to God as what you are in the branch that he sees. See, the heart is something that that we can hide from everyone but God. Heart is is who we are. It's 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 the center of us. So he's not just saying some emotion here, like, oh, you gotta have an emotional full heart that moves and saddened by hardships in the world, which that is a part of it. But he's saying, no, no, pure in the center of who you are. So who you are in your being is pure. And then the promise is seeing God. This means that this is implying not just some act of physically seeing God, but actual per- perception of God to know God, to comprehend God. It's not, not that I understand every aspect of God, but I have begun to know Him now. I see Him in the things of my life. I experience Him. To see God is the desire of every single one of us. We want to see God. We want to know God. Come on, we, we want to see miracles, and that's just another way of us saying, I want to see God do something. Everything in our life is desiring to see Him. This is an idea of practice, an act of coming to comprehend or to grasp, attain awareness or understanding of what one sees. This is the basic purpose of all religions, is to help people see God. That's what everyone wants. Isn't it interesting that he didn't say, um, blessed are those who are pure in mind, for they shall see God, when most of us will try to see God by intellectual gain? See, most of us will try and understand him more and what he's doing. And if I could just pick this apart in my head more, he's saying, no, no. Look, the head, the head matters, but it starts here. Here is where this starts, in your heart. Many seek to find God in an intellectual quest, but the pure in heart would see God in a sense that they will be able to begin to comprehend the ways of God, comprehend how he is playing a part in their life you experience God 
you really only see what you're looking for. And what we are determines what we see. If you think about it, like, I, if I had told you there was, you had to drink one of these and that one of them was toilet water, you'd really be looking for some kind of particle in here. Like you'd be paying really hard and you'd see, and maybe at some point you'd see that. But the same goes with God. You only, you, what you are will determine what you see. Isn't it interesting that Jesus walked on this earth for 33 years? And I know, like, look, I understand I struggle at faith sometimes, but some of the stuff that that dude did, it's amazing, right? I would think that there would be no doubt in my mind when it comes to God, but yet people were all around Jesus and they doubted him. And they never, never experienced him. Why? Because they didn't want to see the Son of God. They couldn't see the Son of God. See, you'll see what you want to see. So if your heart is pure, you want to see more of God. If you have a pure heart, your desire is to see him in everything, to see him in your relationships, to see him in your day-to-day life, to see him, see him in disaster like what happened in the Philippines, to see him. You want to see him in everything. In Hebrews eleven twenty-seven, speaking of Moses, it says, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. See, Mo- Moses, the remarkable, Moses saw God. And we get the story of him seeing him, and he comes down, and he's, he's like glowing, so he puts his veil on. But even Moses, after time, it faded. You know what 2 Corinthians tells about us, about you and I in Christ? 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree to glory to the nether. From this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, we have even a greater privilege than Moses did. We get a, the veil is removed. We get to see God through his Spirit inside of us and in this world. Christ, in Christ, the veil has been taken away, and now in Christ, we, have, we can see God face to face. His glory has been revealed to us, and more than that, we are being renewed daily, transformed daily into more of his glory. See, maybe the issue is with this pure in heart. As I wrestled with this, I literally, because I can tell you right now, there are, I, don't, I can't think of a day, sometimes maybe a week that goes by where I'm not single-minded. <laughs> like, I can't, it's like, man, I, I get so distracted. It's hard to focus on, on God and see him as my own motivation. And, and I think I have sincerity, but really, like, sincerity is only going to get you so far. And so what I realized is, as I was wrestling with this, is that maybe you and I need to spend less time trying to figure out how to make the outside of this glass clean in hopes that we will be pure in heart and really let God start to transform the inside. Maybe it's time that we stop spending so much effort about doing enough or, well, if I just do this, I hear this all the time. We see this all the time. Man, well, I'm doing this, this, and this. Where's God? I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing. We do do all over ourselves, guys. Like, it is just ridiculous. None of us have recognized, and we, we struggle to recognize how to be with God. And this, this, this is impossible for us to be pure in heart. If any one person can raise their hand, man, I've been pure in heart for six years straight now, I, I would love to meet you and, and hear your secret. But see, here's the crazy thing. In Christ, it's possible for all of us. In fact, in Christ, I'm pure in heart. In Christ, you're pure in heart. Let's, let's look. This will be fun for a second. I want to talk a little bit about our heart here. 
See, because Jesus says, he's, he's very, very, very specific about this. He talks about it over and over and over again. There's a section in Matthew, we'll get there probably, who knows, in 10 years, because the rate we're going. But Matthew 23, where, where he's doing this, like, this whole woe to, and it's like, man, he just, you want to really feel bad about yourself, just read this section. But anyways, he's saying, woe to scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, you, you religious people, you religious leaders. And then he says, you hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Isn't it interesting that he talks about dealing with the outside and the blindness that comes with that? You're blind if you're focusing on the outside. You're blind. So you keep the outer parts clean. It doesn't really matter. Jesus is, is more concerned about the heart. He says, out of the heart, that'll take care of the outer stuff. Matthew 15, 18 through 20, it's when someone is, they're coming to argue with Jesus because his disciples didn't do the ceremonial cleanse before eating. Like, I'm, I'm one to believe in washing your hands, but there was a ritual behind this. And they're saying, well, why don't they wash their hands? Like, they don't, they don't observe the laws. And Jesus <laughs> comes in with Matthew 15 and says, look, it, it, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. He's saying, look, it doesn't really matter. It's out of the heart. It's out of the heart that defiles someone. It's what comes out. It's not what you put in. In fact, that section talks about like you, you, come, you put it in, it's just going to come right back out. It says that right before that in that text. It's what comes out of our heart. That's what defiles someone. We live in such a distracted world. We're so focused on so many other things. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 24, that you can only serve one master. You're going to love one, hate the other. And some of us right now, because we're trying to clean the outside of, of us, because we're trying to look good to, to people that don't really know us, we're, we're, we're serving two masters. We're, we're trying to serve two masters. And Jesus says that's impossible. So how do we get a pure heart? That was the question I ran into this week. Because see, this beatitude shows us really clearly the fact and the evidence of the absolute necessity of the grace of God in our lives. This beatitude points to the fact that we are in need of grace because every single one of us would recognize, we could probably think back one day, 24 hours a week, man, that was definitely not single-minded. Ooh, that wasn't pure. We are in need of God's grace. In fact, let's just see what the Bible talks about, just to make you guys understand that you're not alone in this. Let's see what the Bible says about our heart. You ready for this? It declares that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17. Awesome. Proverbs 28 says, he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. Feeling good again, right? Our hearts are awesome. Ecclesiastes 9.3 is just like Solomon's like, done. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after, they, after that, they go to the dead. See, our hearts are horrible. Paul describing, what, <laughs> Paul describing man as God sees him in, in, in Romans 1 is Romans 1.29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve 
to die. Man, left on our own, our hearts are sick. But here's the best part, the best part of this beatitude. Now, the reason why I think Jesus planted it right here, the best part is that those people, those malicious, deceitful, envy, murderous, strifeful people, to that person, God offers grace and forgiveness. To that person, you get it? You, in, in your strife and envious and, and malicious way and your lying and your, your anger and your hatred, in that spot, God comes in and says, here's your grace. Not, hey, dust off the back, clean up the outside, and let's fix all this so that then maybe you can be right. He never touches the outside at the beginning. In fact, he goes right to the core of the heart and says, no, no, in Jesus, in Jesus' blood being spilled for you, you are pure as snow. You are deemed righteous by what Jesus has done in Jesus alone. And then, and then he starts working on the external stuff. And then he starts refining us in this process of cutting off branches that aren't connected to him and, and making us more like him. But that doesn't start at the beginning. The beginning is, you're ugly, you're horrible, you're dead. I will make you alive. I will bring life into you. My grace is sufficient. I will lavish it on you. And here's the best part, because I have made you pure, you can now see God. You can see God in your marriage. You can see God in a sunset or a sunrise. People that don't know God, they see it's like, wow, that's pretty. Their hearts are yearning to see God in that. He, he made every single one of us to desire him. Our hearts are aching for that, and we can have that. We can see God, and we can have a pure heart in Christ alone and what he did. And here's the best part. See, Jesus cleanses us. He creates us in the pure heart. And then Jude 1, 24 and 25 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before God, talking about Jesus, the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And if we were in like a really crazy church, I'd say, can I get an amen, right? Because an amen to the fact that he is presenting us I'm not on my own. This double-minded, broken person that I am, I don't have to present myself to God. Christ is presenting me. He's presenting you. So all that you are in your ugliness, Christ comes in, endures the wrath of God in your place so that you can be pure in heart, so that you can see, you can know, you can taste, you can touch the living God who created you. It's not about cleaning up the outside of you. Look, disciples in Jesus, we have the right motives. We're, we're gonna fail. We're gonna fall to sin. First John tells us that in one. Anyone that says that they don't sin, they're a liar. But he goes on to say, but, but when we do sin, because you will, you have an advocate you know that is? That's Jesus Christ standing up there, stating your case, not saying, no, God, trust me, they're okay. No, he's saying, no, God, they're horrible. But I paid for that. I stand in their place and I make them righteous. So he's not pointing at us saying, yeah, God, they're good. He's pointing at himself saying, look what's done on the cross. I'm their advocate. So what does this mean for us? I think probably part of it, and I, I, I don't like this at all, that the fact that the church is known for this, but we're known for just being fake, 
You ask anyone outside of the church, like, oh, man, those church people are so fake. And I think it's because when we show up here on Sundays, everyone's like, well, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. And we pretend like we're good. So my, my new rule for you guys, okay, is don't ask anyone how they're doing unless you really, really want to hear it, okay? This is going to be key because if you ask, you're going to get the next part because if someone asks you how you're doing, I want you to unload on them. Like, I want you to lay out, like, well, you know, when I was three, and then I started, I want you to go on for hours and hours and on. Tell them your whole life story, because here's the thing. A hypocrite would stand in front and say, I'm so good. Look at how I pray. Look at what I do. Look at my deeds. All the while, they're dying inside. A Pharisee is awesome at that, and I don't want us to be Pharisees. In fact, Jesus says time and time again, don't be like them. In fact, our righteousness has to surpass those guys. So I want, I want you guys, don't ask anyone how they're doing. You can, you can call me on this. If, I get, if I'm not preaching next week or whatever because I'm out there talking to someone, getting their life story, like, hey, they did, they were told. That was awesome. Stop being fake. Stop pretending. Look, if any one person says they have it all figured out, they're a liar. All right? We're, we're lying to you. None of us have it figured out. That's the beautiful thing about community is that God, in his amazing grace has made us righteous and then put us all together as broken people and said, have fun. Like it's some kind of sick game, right? You know, like, oh, we're all so messy. Will we start acting like it? Will we start living that way, recognizing that it's not a matter of what I do because God is going to take care of that. It's a matter of where my heart is with him that he's already taken care of. The actions will follow. You'll start doing things that you didn't know you even wanted to do before because you're pure in heart. The spirit will start leading you pulling you in directions that you didn't know was possible. The, the doing will come. The doing will come. But God's asking for a pure heart. That's why it's the biggest thing. Jesus states this, buried in the middle of the beatitude, states, well, if you want to see God, be pure in heart. The best part is he gave us a way. In fact, he is the way. So my question for you guys this week is before we finish up is, is would you define yourself as pure in heart? And I, I bet, I hate doing this because I feel like I'm giving people an out sometimes, but I, I bet that I asked that some of you are beating yourselves up right now. You're like, man, I, I did this and I stink and I, I know I love Jesus, but I can't, I keep messing up. I keep going to that relationship. I keep going to that website. I keep going to that alcohol. I keep going to that drug. I keep, I keep messing up. And you just start beating yourself up and beating yourself up and go, obviously I'm just, I'm a horrible person. Well, God is not a God of shame. In fact, Romans tells us that if anyone's in Christ, there is now no condemnation. None. Repent. Confess that. Call to light that which is darkness and move forward. Confess your arrogance, your bitterness, your unforgiveness. Whatever it is, release yourself from it. Allow God to take that and put it back on the cross where it belongs. You're not meant to carry it. If you are in Christ, you get to say this today. Your identity is, I am pure and righteous before God by Christ alone and his work alone, not anything I did. So when I ask, are you pure in heart? If you're in Christ, you better say, yes, I am. Yes, I am. And you stand on that. But here's the thing. Some of you, you're not. Some of you, in fact, Jesus says, people, they do a bunch of stuff for him and he, they come to him we'll get to this again later in Matthew and he's, he's like man we prophesied in your name and we, we cast out demons in your name like evil spirits were moving because of your name we did all this and Jesus is going to say away from me I never know I never knew you I never saw you 
evil one away from me. See, Jesus is about knowing us. It's about us being in a relationship with him. So some of you, you're walking around going, yeah, I'm pure in heart. I, I gave money last month and I, I stopped and helped someone, I stopped and helped someone change a tire and you know, I, was, I didn't yell too much at that person on the, on the phone and like you're, you're looking at all your actions. You're like, look at my list of what I did. And like I said last week, Isaiah says that all of your righteous acts are filthy rags. That literally means menstrual rags. It's pretty gross. That's how ugly our righteous acts are apart from Christ. Stop focusing on this. Start surrendering your life to the one who can make you pure, the only one who can make you pure. And it's in that you'll begin to start seeing the God who created you. You'll begin to start experiencing the God who created you. You'll begin to start looking like the God who created you. Band's going to come up and we're going to pray. You'll never attain purity by yourself. And some of you are holding out. I, look, you're blaming all sorts of external things on why God isn't good enough. How can God really do this if you allowed this bad to happen in this world or, or that one person was a hypocrite? And you're blaming all these external things as reasons to deny God. Oh, I don't need to believe in him because there's all these external things. He's saying, stop looking at external things. It has nothing to do with out here. It has everything to do with in here. So my challenge to those of you that have been wrestling with that and pushing, maybe you've ran. My challenge is that would you recognize that, that in Christ is your only hope, your only satisfaction, your only peace. That's it. There's, there's no one else that's going to bring that. Would you finally surrender your life to him and say, okay, I'm done doing this on my own? Would you allow God to make you pure in heart? Would you believe in Jesus? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that, um, that when I was a gossip and slander and hater of you and insolent and malicious and bitter, God, that you in that moment loved me and came into my heart. God, you in that moment brought your grace to me. Father, I'm so thankful for that. I pray that, that each one of us in this room would be um, defined as pure in heart by what your son has done for us, um, not by any acts that we are. God, if we're, if we're hiding behind these, these acts and we're doing things for you, God, would you just strip those from us? Father, for those in the, in the room that are pure in heart, would you remind them that, that you have deemed them righteous because of Christ and that they can live in that freedom. They don't need to wallow in shame or guilt. God, if there's some of us that are pure in heart and we've, we've, we've lived out moments of double-mindedness, God, would you, would you draw us to repentance of that? Will we call to light that darkness in our hearts? Remove it so that we could be more like your son, Jesus Christ. God, for those in the room that, that continually fight and push against you or they're trying to find some intellectual level at which they can understand you, God, would you just strip them? Strip them of any arrogance or pride, or frustrations. Would you open their eyes and their heart to you, God? Now, for those of us that in this room that, that continually, continually push against you, God, would you break us down? We love you, God, and we want to be a community of people. We want to be a people that truly show your pure in heart. So, God, would, as we leave today, would you just help us to start stripping away that fake exterior stuff that gets in the way of the purity in our hearts, God? Would we stop pretending like everything's okay? Would we allow ourselves to... To, to really truly confess to one another and allow ourselves to truly um, be real with each other.
And God, may we, when we're doing all this, when all this is happening, would none of us take any glory for it, God? Would we give all glory to your son, Jesus Christ? It's in his name we pray. Amen.